Municipal buildings are not known for their intrigue, except maybe occasionally of the political variety. Depends on the city we're talking about, I guess. But the discovery of a portal into a city's barbecue past? That is a whole lot more interesting than your normal office building. So everyone's reconnecting to this space because so many people thought it was just tore down. They had no idea that we just built within the walls here. So, And I didn't know this was here. I had no clue. You're listening to Gravy. 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 Stories of the changing American South through the foods we eat. We are a production of the Southern Foodways Alliance. I'm Tina Antolini. So recently, while renovating a municipal building, officials in Lexington, North Carolina, got a little surprise. They uncovered a physical reminder of just how ingrained barbecue is in their city. Lexington does call itself the barbecue capital of the world, after all. Granted, Lexington is not alone in claiming that status, but this new discovery might set this city apart. We sent radio producer Sarah D'Elia to Lexington to hear more about this particular find and what it says about the city's past and present relationship with the food they're best known for. To be clear, this isn't a story about just any kind of barbecue. We're talking Lexington-style barbecue, also known as Western-style barbecue, as in the western part of North Carolina. It's pork shoulder cooked over coals made from a hardwood fire, usually oak and hickory, and covered with a sweet, tangy vinegar sauce. But it's also the red slaw served alongside of vinegar, ketchup, and cabbage slaw, not to be confused with the white and mayo slaw found in the eastern part of the state. The pork plus the slaw, that's what residents of Lexington claim as true Q. The city grows to 10 times its usual size for its annual barbecue festival each fall. For folks like Ricky Monk of Lexington Barbecue, or the Honey Monk as locals know it, proud isn't a strong enough word to describe the way they feel about their food. I think the magic's cooking like this. I think this is true Western-style barbecue. This is the way they did it 150 years ago, and I'm not going to change it. Yes, it's labor intense, it's hard work. I mean, just because there's things easier and faster and cheaper out there, I don't mean it's the right way. This is the right way to cook barbecue. When you drive up and get out of your car, you smell it. One day you stop in and say, I gotta see what's going on in there. The right way he's talking about is smoking the pork shoulders over wood, and it's a dying art. Many pitmasters have switched to gas or electricity, a less labor intensive way to cook the meat that doesn't take as long. We'll get to all that later, but first, a look at Lexington's local government. You may be wondering, what do local government and barbecue have to do with each other? The answer is a lot, as this story will reveal. This story actually starts in a city building. The building we're talking about is sort of an annex from the main city hall. Since the early 1980s, the city has been using this space for offices, for the city manager and other employees who needed to have easy access to city hall. They had staff meetings there, but they knew they weren't using it in the best way possible and had dreams of expanding. The mayor never even had a physical office space. He had to go out to meet constituents at local restaurants and businesses. So when the city decided they had outgrown their office space, they tried to expand in the most economical way possible. So they took a look at their finances and went to the bank. And so nowadays, when you go to borrow the money to do these, the banks want you to kind of put up some collateral for it. It used to be that cities and counties never failed, uh, but now they're failing all across the country. We're not in any danger of that, but they still wanted something to be put up for collateral. We asked them what that would be, and they, they indicated they'd like to see us put City Hall up. 
That's Lexington City Manager Alan Carson. So they put City Hall and the building connected to it up as collateral. This meant that everything had to be really up to code. Construction started. They checked the wiring and pulled back walls. And that's when they found something unexpected. I walked in one Saturday looking at the renovation. I came in one Saturday and I was like, holy mackerel, look what we have here. So I called a friend of mine, a fellow by the name of Cecil Conrad, who's a part owner of the barbecue center. Side note, the barbecue center is a restaurant that's been in business since 1955 and is still owned and operated by the Conrad family. And I called him that Saturday and I I asked him to come up. I said, I think I know what I'm looking at, but I'm really not sure. So he came up and he said, Alan, those are are barbecue pits. And uh, I was like, okay, so that kind of kicked everything off. This municipal building has had many lives. In 1938, Alton Beck bought the property, which was just a cinder block building at the time. In 1949, he constructed a brick building for his barbecue restaurant, Beck's Barbecue. Part of that construction included fire pits and a fire box used to cook the meat, the remnants of which Allen came upon that Saturday morning. He says after they were able to confirm that the structures were indeed pits, it got even more interesting. What should they do now? Should the city preserve these markers of barbecue heritage? Standing next to the pits, Allen says the city could have easily lost this piece of their history. Yeah, we could have taken this down in a hurry and uh, really been sad about it. You know, you can always rebuild something, but just the fact that it's here in the original condition that the Becks built it, I mean, you know, you can't do that. And I can't get Cunningham Brick anymore because they're out of business. So, um, you know, the thought process behind it is, is that this is unique and especially unique to Lexington. The pits look like a long brick hallway. You can see where the wood would have been placed and burned below and where the pork shoulders would have been stacked above. Back in the 40s and 50s, Beck's Barbecue was one of the places to be. Beck's had a large L-shaped counter with bench seating. Customers packed in from local regulars to visitors who had business at the county courthouse. The smell of cooking pork constantly hung in the air from open to close. Now the building smells like sawdust and dirt while it undergoes construction. You know, this would be the dining room probably coming to, to, about, to about here. And then the kitchen, you know, would, would be back from here back. That's Charles Stamey. To say barbecue runs in his blood is an understatement. His father, C. Warner Stamey, bought and ran Stamey's, a famed barbecue restaurant in Lexington. Warner was mentored by two barbecue legends, Jess Swicegood and Sid Weaver, whom we'll get to later in this story. Warner passed what he knew on to his son, Charles. Charles eventually took over the family business, and now his son, Chip, runs it today out of Greensboro, North Carolina, some 30 miles away. That's how many layers of family history are wrapped up in barbecue here. Charles Stamey remembers coming to Beck's Barbecue. Surrounded by the construction, he looks like he's trying to find something familiar. Well, I mean, I remember it, you know, I remember it in its heyday, and it, you know, it's nostalgia for that. It's been a long time. He says his dad and Mr. Beck weren't just friends. They were neighbors. Their families lived across the street from one another. Businesses were local and family-owned. Folks actually said hi to each other on the street. And that Mayberry mentality hasn't changed all that much in the city of about 20,000 people. Charles grew up in Lexington and began working for his father as a teenager. His whole working life was in the barbecue business, and he knows its history. 
standing outside of the former restaurant turned municipal building. He says barbecue and local government have always had a connection on this particular street. A little geography for you. We're currently on West Center Street. He points to the street next to us, Greensboro. Part of that road is known as Barbecue Alley. By the 1920s, barbecue pitmasters cooked beneath tents and sold barbecue sandwiches to county residents who came to do business at the courthouse. Diagonal from where we stand on West Center Street is what was the courthouse, now a museum. The surrounding area around the courthouse was unofficially known as Lawyer's Row because, well, that's where all the lawyers were. This location was key. It made barbecue a destination. It became Lexington's signature food. The barbecue place was here and there, and you can see the relationship with the courthouse. The big day was when the court was in session and everybody came from all of the whole county to court day. It was sort of like a festival. And uh, they used to joke, you know, that the, the judge would smell the barbecue smoke, you know, was, was wafting up and he would recess for lunch, you know, so everybody would, and everybody would come down and eat at the barbecue. The space formerly known as Beck's Barbecue was previously owned by a Mr. Sid Weaver. Remember the one who taught Charles Stamey's dad his barbecue secrets? Sid is believed to be the first man to cook barbecue as a way to make a profit in Lexington. And he was one of the founding fathers of this style of barbecue. In 1919, he began cooking out of a tent adjacent to the courthouse. And the trend and competition of cooking barbecue there caught on. Stamey says Weaver and others would have pop-up tents during court days. In the spirit of feeding hungry bystanders for whom the trials were entertainment, it also was an easy way to start a business. What happened here in Lexington was it was ideal thing for an entrepreneur. It was something that somebody could go into business cheaply and make a, a living. Barbecue, he says, helped people in Lexington stay self-sufficient. Back inside, surrounded by construction, Stamey recalls why his father got into the business. It was 1930, during the Great Depression. He started off bartering for, you know, the brick mason to build his pit and all like that. And it was something that was uh, very attractive to an entrepreneur. You, you could do a pretty nice business without, you know, a lot of trouble getting into business. He describes the barbecue business back then as a humble one. People worked out of tents. It took eight hours to cook the meat. And with no refrigeration, they were motivated to sell as much as they could in a day. So really, it was just something that they figured out that, you know, they could do to make a living. The real question is, I guess, is why didn't it happen everywhere? Stamey says to those families that made up Lexington's barbecue infrastructure, it was this hard work that made them value the food as much as its deliciousness. Because as cheesy as it sounds, barbecue gave back to the people of Lexington, financially. And now, these years later, it's the city's main attraction. So when the city found the barbecue pits, it wasn't a question of if they were going to keep them. It was, okay, let's find a way to make this work. In other words, they wanted their office space and their barbecue history too. Again, city manager, Alan Carson. You know, it's a unique feature. Um, it was one that, you know, we knew right away we were gonna have to work to restore uh, and, and keep. So we weren't gonna have just a wall. <laughs> we were gonna have to do something with the pits and in order to, you know, keep that heritage and that history in place. That's our responsibility. Coming up, 
what's next for the building that holds this barbecue history, and how it connects to a contemporary debate about the future of barbecue. That's ahead. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So in April, when our team from the Southern Foodways Alliance showed up at the James Beard Media Awards, I noticed that our director, John T. Edge, was wearing this totally fly navy plaid jacket. Who made it? Southern-born designer Billy Reed. From his base in Florence, Alabama, Billy designs beautiful clothes for both men and women. So many of us pay such close attention to the origins of our food, the chefs that cook it. Why should our clothes be any different? The way folks like Billy Reed think about fashion is the way many of us have come to think about food. You can find his clothes at billyreed.com. Oh, and if you want to find the jacket John T. was wearing, it's the Lexington jacket in navy plaid. It's a good one. And now, back to Sarah D'Elia and Lexington Barbecue. Inefficient space is a phrase designers Larry Zinzer and Terry Shook hear a lot in their line of work. They're architects based in Charlotte, North Carolina. And inefficient space is what they were dealing with when they started to design new offices for the city of Lexington. Knowing that the city they were designing for is sacred ground for barbecue, incorporating that history was part of the original redesign plan. But when the pits were discovered, it was a game changer. We're making some changes on the fly, and fortunately we have a contractor on board that's working with us to, uh, to help you know, expedite that and being as accommodating as possible. That's Larry. I mean, this is a municipal building, right? And we have this opportunity through these basically four pits, right, to, to tell a story about, about how important barbecue is in Lexington in the past, in the present, and hopefully something that you can take forward in the future. It's a lot to ask for a small space. And that's Terry. So how do you tell a story about barbecue history in a building that's meant to be a productive environment for city officials? The answer, you use what you've got. And for a city that has one barbecue joint per every thousand residents, incorporating this history into the building wasn't considered a hardship. Larry says the pits are like a long rectangular room. You can actually walk inside them. That shape was helpful when it came to building around them. It'll be along a primary pathway through the facility, which is great. So you're going to have a lot of daily foot traffic, um, folks meeting on a regular basis in a large conference room. They'll have the opportunity to walk by it. Dignitaries that come to the city of Lexington when they have meetings to look at redevelopment opportunities in the depot district. So again, it'll be you know front and center on display here. It's not just about making the pits aesthetically pleasing, Larry says. We'll have the opportunity for niches within the pits. We'll have the opportunity to have a full open pit. It'll be a, a central you know, object within the space that I think will be the quite amazing. The bad thing is we're not going to be able to turn them into working pits. <laughs> if it was our building, we would probably do it, I imagine. <laughs> Enjoy barbecue at lunchtime. Basically, the pits will remain in their original location, so people can peer into them and learn more about their history as they walk to their morning meeting. These are the plans for now, but the city says they have dreams of turning the entire building into a barbecue museum. 
Because as Terry puts it, this is going to be a space that people will want to visit. Lexington is about an hour away from Charlotte. And as Charlotte's becoming a center for banking in the U.S., it's been having a huge population boom. Terry believes that will have an effect on tourism in Lexington, which is already a mecca for barbecue lovers. I mean, the whole world is coming to North Carolina. We're the Whereas California was basically in the 60s, I mean, you want to be truthful about it. And so it's important to preserve these kinds of traditions because people come in here from all over the place and they want to be a part of a story when they land because they've left, uprooted themselves where they lived, you know, and they say, how can I be a part of this new culture? So it's important to keep these things. For barbecue lovers throughout the state, that sounds like good news. My name's John Shelton-Reed and I'm a uh, retired professor of sociology at the University of North Carolina and uh, now live and write in Chapel Hill. John's also the co-author with his wife, Dale, of Holy Smoke, the big book of North Carolina barbecue. The book dives into the history and practices of barbecue in North Carolina. It shares some treasured recipes and breaks down the heated rivalry between East and West or Piedmont or Lexington if you're from Lexington. That's the whole hog vinegar sauce style of Eastern North Carolina, versus the vinegar, ketchup-based pork shoulders of the western part of the state, which includes Lexington. Reed says for the book, he and Dale traveled across North Carolina. They interviewed cooks in smoky kitchens and spent weeks researching in libraries, trying to find clues to the past. But unfortunately, they found that North Carolinians aren't great at keeping mementos of their barbecue history. They were just working too hard to focus on it. I think the, I think the history uh, is there. I mean, that's what we dug up. But we went around to a lot of barbecue places, the old ones, and we said, have you got any old menus or any old pictures? And with a couple of exceptions, I said, no. You know, we just we were just in business just selling barbecue. We didn't think it was uh, anything worth keeping a record. <laughs> so Reed is happy Lexington is preserving more of its history. But he wonders if North Carolina's love for barbecue goes beyond the taste. I'm not actually sure we are all that interested in, in, in the history of it. Uh, we are interested in, in the food, but uh, one reason we wrote our book was we were afraid the history was, was getting, getting lost and uh, you know, tradition was being subverted. <laughs> what he sees, Reed says, is more of a push for uniformity across the state kind of like an international house of pancakes, but for barbecue. Before, if you went to a particular town, you'd get the local style. Now, he sees those hyper-local identities slipping away, and it worries him. It's a complicated story. Uh, Originally, you had this uniformity everywhere in the 1850s, and by the 1850s, and for some decades after that. But by the 1950s, it was an intensely local thing. I mean, you drive 100 miles, you did it barbecue changes, you know, cooking different cuts of pork, or you're not cooking pork at all, you're using a different sauce. You know, you can tell where you are by what the barbecue looks and tastes like. Um, That was by 1950. Now, increasingly, we're going, I'm afraid, (laughs) I don't like it, but increasingly, we're going back to uniformity, this time, uh, presumably, with thick, red, sweet sauces that lie on the surface like icing. To read, barbecue isn't just about the food, even though he loves a great Lexington sandwich. It's about the businesses generated from the food, the opportunities it created, the sense of community it provided for those that cooked it and those that ate it. It's about the pitmasters who were up before the sun each day, cooking over sweltering pits. 
Reed's so dedicated to authentic barbecue, cooked in pits over wood, that he started a sort of watchdog website. It keeps tabs on North Carolina barbecue joints, and not even Lexington is immune to the temptation to use gas instead of wood. Even in Lexington, uh, some of the barbecue traditions are, are, are threatened. I mean, increasingly, it's hard to find wood-cooked barbecue. There, as I said, 17 or something like that, places in Lexington and only three or four of them are still cooking with wood. The others have switched to gas and it's not the same thing. You know, a friend of mine and I have started a something called the Campaign for Real Barbecue. You can check us out on the web at truecue.org. <laughs> so we're going around certifying places that actually take the trouble to cook with wood or charcoal and there, there are not that many of them left. There are just a few more outside the city limits, which Reed says gives Lexington the greatest concentration of restaurants he's certified as authentic in the state. Among the certified barbecue places is Lexington Barbecue. Locals call it the Honey Monk for the combined name of the original pair of owners, Honey Cut and Wayne Monk. Today, it's still run by the Monk family. Look at this. It's a normal day. It's a Tuesday. I drive up to the restaurant at lunchtime with the mayor of Lexington, Newell Clark. Turns out he's also the unofficial spokesman of the city's barbecue history. He wants to make sure I notice the pull the restaurant still has. Let's see how many, uh, if we can find some folks visiting. Yeah, I can already see one. Is that South Carolina license plate? There's, there's a Virginia plate. There's Ohio. For some, stopping by Lexington Barbecue is a barbecue pilgrimage. But for people who live in Lexington, like the mayor, it's just everyday life. It is. That's a good thing. Walking into the restaurant, there's not a moment to stand still. You either move in and forward or risk getting stepped on by hungry lunchgoers. This is Ricky Monk's family business. His father opened Lexington Barbecue in 1962. Ricky's been working there for over 40 years, and his son now works at the restaurant as well. So do two of his sisters, a brother-in-law, some cousins, nieces, nephews. His mom does bookkeeping. His dad, Wayne, is still involved. We have three kitchens. This is our kitchen where everything goes through here. Once everything's prepared, all things, everything goes through this way here. Ricky wastes no time whisking us back through a crowded kitchen to the main thing we came to see, the pits, functioning ones, that cook meat as we speak. The kitchen is hot, and there's no AC. Ricky says the pits stay at about 275 degrees. Right now, turkey legs and pork shoulders are cooking. And the smell of meat Hickory smoke, along with the sweet, tangy vinegar sauce, fill the air. When he opens the door to one of the pits, that smell hits you like a brick wall. These have been cooking since roughly about 6 o'clock this morning. Don't let that door come back on. <laughs> on this here, there's, what, 33 or 34 shoulders, 36 shoulders on there now. It's noon now, and the meat's been cooking since the wee hours of the morning. These here will be ready to serve anytime around 4 o'clock this afternoon. Everything I have has gone in and out in roughly about 30 hours. Using the pits, Ricky says, isn't easy. There's a hot spot in the fire you have to find every day. It's hard, sweaty work, not to mention the early hours. But he says it's the right way, the Lexington-style way to cook, which is why he's grateful the city isn't covering up the pits in the municipal building. I like to see what the city's doing with it and all. So I hope we can work something out so people, the public can see what we're doing with it. They can showcase it off here and there. My dad's working on some, I reckon you will call memoirs, what he knows about history in Davidson County and Lexington going back and all. So my dad is, 
even before here, he was in the barbecue business with other guys where he learned to trade at and learned his social skills and all. And it's been a long, my dad's 78 or 79. He's been in it since he was a kid, you know, since he was a teenager. Really. The future of barbecue weighs heavy on historians like John Shelton Reed and cities like Lexington. But with finds like this one in City Hall, maybe Reed's worries about barbecue's future won't come to pass after all. When Ricky Monk starts talking about barbecue, he inevitably ends up talking about family. For him, finding these pits and the city showcasing them is like a memorial to the local families that built their lives on barbecue. As far as Ricky is concerned, it's the foundation Lexington is built on, and it's not going away anytime soon. Sarah Delia is an arts and culture reporter at WFAE in Charlotte, North Carolina. If you want to learn more about North Carolina barbecue, check out the Southern Foodways Alliance's oral history project about it. That's on our website, southernfoodways.org. Music for this episode was from J. Root Leaner, Aces and Twos, Ken Ham, Blue Dot Sessions, The Underscore Orchestra, Sunday Ent, and Computer vs. Banjo. A little shout out to Travis Lux for the music help. Our theme music is by Wendell Patrick. Sponsorship music is by Jazar. Coming up, a little taste of the next gravy, but first. So I spent a few hours one recent afternoon in Alabama. Well, not literally. I was at home, in front of my computer in New Orleans, the whole time. But thanks to a new project by Dana J. Alson of the University of Alabama, which was commissioned by the Southern Foodways Alliance, I learned so much about the foodways and history of Alabama that it felt like I'd been there and traveled back in time, too. The Alabama Food Frontier is an illustrated history of Alabama foodways from the year 800 to the present. Did you know that German immigrants successfully made brandy in Tallapoosa County in the 1850s? Or that shortages of food during the Civil War inspired 600 women and children to march the streets of Mobile, carrying banners that said bread or blood, and bread and peace. There is so much to learn from this project. You can find a link to it on our website, southernfoodways.org. Coming up on the next episode of Gravy, a story of African-American entrepreneurship and fried chicken. A black woman frying chicken any day of the week is going to garner more money, if there's money to be made, than a non-African-American woman cooking chicken because of the idea that she knows how to cook better. That one's next time. You're listening to Gravy. I'm Tina Antolini for the Southern Foodways Alliance. And as you go about your daily life, please remember, make cornbread, not war.